today on Divine Truth Podcast. In evangelicalism today, we've got churches that are filled with people that are, that for some reason, they are satisfied with their Christian walk. They are satisfied with their Christian level because I will not give up that. I will not give up that person. I will not give up that friendship. I will not give up that relationship. I will not give up that job. I will not give up that habit. And I am just satisfied to sit where I am with the spiritual level that I've gained up to this point. And then we wonder why our families are crumbling. We wonder why our churches are crumbling. And we wonder why our very lives are crumbling because we refuse to give up those things that God has told us to give up. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Every Christian must learn the principle That privilege implies responsibility. And when I consider that fact in my mind, my mind goes back to a plethora of things. But one of the things that my mind goes back to is the lives of the English kings. In Shakespeare's history play, Richard II, Richard was an unfortunate king because he brings trouble on himself By failing to live up to the responsibilities of being king. Richard was a legitimate king, but he was impetuous. He was passionate for the wrong things. And he was arbitrary in the administration of his justice. And such behavior was unfit for someone who wears the crown. And that's how Shakespeare says how he eventually lost it. Privilege for Richard II brought responsibility, but Richard did not fulfill it. The three Shakespeare plays involving Henry IV, Prince Henry, and then King Henry V show the opposite character. In his youth, Prince Henry V was very, very irresponsible. And he spent much time carousing with Shakespeare's fictitious person, John Falstaff. He was not a real person. He was made up for Shakespeare's play. Time came on. Henry IV died. And Prince Henry begins becomes the king. And therefore, once he becomes king, he begins to live a life that befits kingly status. He does not gain the crown by any virtue of himself. But having the crown, folks, he vows to live worthy of that possession. In fact, Henry the, King Henry V said these words, The tide of blood in me hath proudly flowed in vanity till now. Now doth it turn and ebb back to the sea where it shall mingle with the state of floods and flow henceforth in formal majesty, end quote. And for King Henry V, 
becoming king produced a change in him. And from that point on, Henry V lives, lived one of the lives of one of the noblest kings in the history of England. And while Shakespeare's plays are not infallible truth by any stretch of the imagination, it does, in a way, illustrate for us a biblical truth. And that biblical truth, church, is this, is that as believers, we are to live worthy of our spiritual possessions. If you are a believer this morning, you do not hold your possessions in Christ through any virtue of your own. Every spiritual blessing that you've been given has been given to you in the heavenly places by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and no virtue of ourself, no merit of ourself, but having it, church, we need to live worthy of that calling. Even though we didn't gain it, even though we didn't do anything to earn it, we have been given those possessions by grace. And so now that we have it, the call is to live worthy of the possessions that you have. Because listen, church, old things are put away. All things become new. And that takes us back to our thoughts at the beginning of this section in verse 24. And that is as we looked at the believer's purpose. And that the purpose of every child of God is that the works of God may be displayed in us. Therefore, that would cause other believers to be encouraged in Christ. You and I need to understand this morning, church, that your life and my life speaks volumes. Not just unsaved people, but your life and my life speaks volumes to other believers. Paul recognized the fact that if he was going to remain in the flesh, that his fleshly life was going to speak volumes to the believers of Philippi. Paul wanted to go to heaven, didn't he? Because Paul says he wanted to go and be with Christ because that was, quote, very much better. But Paul also realized that by remaining in the flesh and by being released from prison, that would cause the believers there in Philippi to be encouraged in the power of Christ. Because Paul knew that if he remained in the flesh, that would aid in the spiritual development of the believers there in Philippi, and it would continue, as the text tells us, it would continue in their spiritual progress to where ultimately, when Paul was released from prison, they would see that their prayers were answered, they would see that the power of Christ was on display, and that they would be more encouraged in Christ themselves, you see. And one of the main reasons, one of the reasons why Christians should not live in despair, and one of the reasons why James tells us in James chapter 1 that we need to consider all of our trials as a joyous thing, because as we place our faith and trust in Christ during that trials, we speak volumes to people, and we encourage people by the way we act through those trials. You see, Paul was willing to remain in the flesh even though he wanted to be with Christ. Because he knew by staying in the flesh that that would glorify Christ more and more. And folks, listen, that should be the purpose of every believer in this auditorium this morning is that no matter what, my purpose is to glorify God more and more. And if glorifying God happens in my death, 
then give me heaven. If glorifying God more is in my life, then I will remain in the flesh. But while I remain in the flesh, I will live my life to glorify him. And that should, and there should be no other purpose in the life of the believer but to be dedicated to the plan and the will of God in our life. Because as we trust in that will, as we trust in that plan, others will see the miraculous working of Christ and be encouraged to trust Him more. But not only do we see the believer's purpose, but verse 27, we, we saw the believer's purity. And Paul is basically saying, in light of the glorious opportunity that we have to show the power of Christ in our lives, we do that in two ways. Folks, listen. We show the power of Christ in our life in two ways. Number one, by submitting to His will and His plan that will cause more glory to be seen through us. And two, by conducting our lives in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. In fact, remember what he said at the beginning of verse 27, and Paul used the adverb only. And he says, this is, the, uh, this is the only way for a believer to live. If you are truly going to encourage others and you are truly going to show Christ, the only way to do that is that your manner of life, your conduct reflects the worthiness of the gospel, the worthy of the cross. Because those great privileges of Christ reflect in us. And listen, church, it is an enormous opportunity for sanctification in our lives. Living, church, listen, not by the pleasures of the flesh, but living for the glory of God. How will we fulfill those obligations? By standing together, right? Standing together as one and living our life in purity. Living our life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, I'm afraid that in, in evangelicalism today, we've got a churches that are filled with people that are, that for some reason, they are satisfied with their Christian walk. They are satisfied with their Christian level. Because I will not give up that. I will not give up that person. I will not give up that friendship. I will not give up that relationship. I will not give up that job. I will not give up that habit. And I am just satisfied to sit where I am with a spiritual level that I've gained up to this point. And then we wonder why our families are crumbling. We wonder why our churches are crumbling. And we wonder why our very lives are crumbling. Because we refuse to give up those things that God has told us to give up. Us to give up listen folks we can't ever as believers we can't ever get to the point in our life where we are satisfied with where we are spiritually if we get to a point in our life where we are satisfied where we are spiritually church listen we are in deep deep trouble as a church and you individually as a person are in deep deep trouble if you are satisfied where you are in your christian life we should always be seeking how I can better live the gospel of Christ worthy of it. Listen, church, perhaps there has never been a period of time in history than today when Christians have lived more like the world and have demonstrated such little regard to the high standards of the Christian life. Church, listen, that is inexcusable. 
It is inexcusable for any Christian not to live up to the standards of God's Word. You say, Pastor, the standard is too high. Well, I think that every one of us have got it dwelling within us in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live up to that high standard. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, when He inspired the Word of God, He he never gives us a command that He doesn't put in us through this person of the Spirit the ability to obey that command. And so if God calls us to a high standard, it's because He He's given us the ability to live that standard. And it is absolutely inexcusable for any of us not to live to that standard. Privilege implies responsibility. We wear the crown of life. We are representatives of Christ. We have been justified. And one day we will be glorified. We have been called. And because we have been called, we need to live a life worthy of that calling. Whenever Christians live as they ought to live in this world, and whenever Christians live where they aggressively and righteously seek to spread the gospel, church, listen, there will be persecution. But that persecution doesn't need to stop us from living godly, does it? That persecution doesn't need to stop us from living lives worthy of the gospel. That's true of all believers. Because if we bear the proper witness, not in word only. Listen, there are a lot of people that claim to be Christians, right? You know people that in their words say that they're Christians. We're not talking about in word only, but we're also talking about in deed, in conduct. To live as God intends. If we do that, persecution will be inevitable. It may not be physical, as it was in Paul's day, but we will suffer some sort of persecution. So we need to beware. Our responsibility to the great privileges that we have in Christ, our responsibility is to reflect Christ's likeness in our behavior. But those actions have consequences which is Paul's point in the next section. Now that you've been brought up to speed, point number three, the believer's power. Look at verse 28. And in nothing, don't you like that conjunction and? I like that conjunction and. It bridges verses 27 to 28, okay? Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life, only let your conversation, only let your conduct, the way you live, be as becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else am absent, I may hear of your affairs. Get this, that ye stand. Stand how? In one spirit, in, with one mind, Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And, or you could translate it also, don't be afraid by your adversaries. Don't be afraid by your adversaries. The word terrified there is a Greek word, uh, turo. And it literally means to allow yourself to be intimidated. It, it refers to serious, fearful concern. And these believers in Philippi and other first century churches, from a human perspective, had every reason in the world to be intimidated. 
If anybody ever knew anything about spiritual intimidation, the Apostle Paul understood it. Because these people, these believers, could possibly be beaten, imprisoned, and even executed by the opponents of the gospel. Others face less serious intimidations, like a loss of property, a loss of family, or whatever. But they all suffer some type of persecution. Family members, friends, or neighbors could disown them or disavow them. But Paul's words were so serious that their conflict might be so serious that they needed to be not intimidated. He says, don't be terrified. Persecution is going to come. The ungodly are going to try to intimidate you. Don't be intimidated. Because God's people do not bow but to one person. And that's the sovereign God of the universe. We do not bow to rulers. We do not bow to governors. We do not bow to presidents. We do not bow to Caesar. And we will not be intimidated by Caesar's minions. And Paul says, don't be intimidated by your adversaries. Because why? Look at verse 28 again. Which is to them an evident token of perdition. The very fact that they're persecuting you because of the gospel is proof that those opponents are heading for destruction. Don't you believe a word a person says that they say they're religious and they believe in Jesus, but they persecute you because of the gospel? Paul says the fact that they persecute you because of the gospel is an evident that they are on their way to destruction. But notice what the text also says. But to you, what? Of salvation. Of salvation. The token, the proof that they persecute you is the proof that they're headed for destruction. But the fact that you are persecuted for the gospel is proof that you're headed to life. One of the ways that we live you want to say, well, pastor, I hear all what you're saying, but how do I live a life worthy of the gospel? Two ways I want to give you real quick. Number one is not only living a holy life, but you live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ by the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Listen, as you proclaim the gospel, and as you are persecuted because of the gospel, that persecution, Paul says here in verse 28, is, is proof that they're headed for destruction and proof that you're headed to heaven. Christians should expect persecution, shouldn't we? It's not that we don't expect it. Paul is saying, don't be intimidated by it. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 19, he says, if ye were of the world, the world would what? Love his own. Let me tell you one thing, when a person claims to be a child of God and the world is friendly to them, there's a problem. There's a problem. I'm not talking about an everyday business because you don't want to be a jerk. Right? You don't want to be persecuted. You want to be persecuted for righteousness sakes, not because you treat people bad. I mean, 
Everybody wants to be liked. And you know what I'm talking There's a difference between unsaved people liking you. I mean, who can't like Bridget? I'm not talking about liking personalities. When the world approves of your life, when you're bosom pals with the world, that's an old word for you young, youngsters. There's a problem. Because Jesus says, if you were of the world, if you acted just like the world, if you did the world's things, if you did the world's pleasures, the world would love his own. But, because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Listen, I told the academy when we were going through devotions some weeks ago, I said, listen, it is not that the world hates you because it hates you. The world hates you because it hates your master, and it can't get to your master, but you represent your master, so it hates you. And as you and I represent our master, as we fulfill verse 27 and live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, the world's going to hate us. Jesus said in John chapter 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have what? Peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12, Beloved, think it not, a, think it not strange. Well, that's different language. Think it not strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. If somebody comes to Christ, don't ever think that your problems are over. According to Scripture, your problems in some ways are just beginning. And the church needs to be abundantly clear on this. That anyone that blurs the gospel... They are a hireling and a false prophet. And part of the gospel of Christ is living holiness. And part of the gospel of Christ is being persecuted for righteousness sake. And if anybody ever paints a, a rose-colored glasses gospel, they have blurred the gospel and they're not preaching the truth. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 that if we or even an angel from heaven come to you and preach any other gospel than what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. Listen to me, church. Joyce Meyer preaches a false gospel. Jesse Duplantis preaches a false gospel. Beth Moore preaches a false gospel. Priscilla Shriver preaches a false gospel. And we need to beware. Because the gospel is not about having a garden full of roses. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about living holy. And because we live holy, Paul says in Philippians 1 that we suffer persecution. I told Brother Nathan came up to me a couple weeks ago and he said, I had mentioned a person's name and you guys know that I've always been real shy by mentioning names. And... Um, Nathan came up to me a couple weeks ago and, and he said, he said, does this, does that dude still really do, does that dude believe that? 
And I said, yeah. He said, I had no idea. And I looked, and I looked at him and I said, you know, brother, I said, I don't want people in the church to think that I have a problem with everything or that I have, every, I have a problem with every preacher but me. I, sometimes I have a problem with what I say. Uh, kidding. But I said, but the, but the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of heresy in Christianity today, supposed Christianity today. It's not that we find problems with everything. It's that it's everywhere. Those that preach a false gospel are to be condemned because their false gospel is condemning others. And just a diluting of the gospel is the sign of an unbeliever. But a firm stand on truth is an indicator or a pointer of a true conversion. If there is lack of opposition, here's the point. If there is lack of opposition to the message that's preached, it ought to raise real questions about where we stand. That's the point. That's the point of Paul in verse 28. If you live the way you're supposed to live, and if you stand for the truth, it's going to cause opposition. And if the message that is preached, whether through your mouth or through your life, doesn't cause opposition, then it raises serious questions about the stand that you take, whether verbally or in your life. Listen, church, we must stand firm, right? We must stand firm on the truth. We must stand firm on the truth of the gospel. We must stand firm. Number four. We see the believer's purpose, the believer's purity, the believer's power. And number four, we see the believer's promise. The believer's promise. The Apostle Paul, having told them that they should not be intimidated by their adversaries, because it's coming. It's coming. If you live the message of the gospel through your life and through what you say, the, the adversary is coming. The adversity is coming. Don't be surprised. And don't be intimidated, Paul says, because those are signs or certain indicators of certain spiritual conditions. And what does he say at the last part of verse 28? I like that. And that of who? Everything you get comes to you. We've talked about this in Sunday school. Everything that you get comes to you by God. Latter verse of 28. And that of God. And Paul further elaborates on these two areas. Look at verse 29. For... Unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to what, church? What does Paul say? Suffer. And what does he say that is? It's given to you. You say, Pastor, it's a package deal, huh? Yeah, it's a package deal. Salvation equals suffering. Package deal. To all believers, Paul says, saving faith has been given. Charizomai, and it literally means to give graciously. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, it has been graciously given to us the ability to believe. Listen, church, if anyone ever believes in Christ, it is only going to be as that ability to believe has been given to them by God. No one believes the gospel on their own. I didn't wake up in October of 1985 and say, oh, I think I want to be a Christian today. I think I want to be a follower of God today. 
Now the Bible says that it has been given to me. It has been granted to me. Because I am what from my birth? I am dead in sin. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar verse to all of you. And you hath he what? Quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen, church, before Christ, we were slaves to sin. And so because we were slaves to sin, we could not do anything but obey sin. We were enslaved to his passions. We were enslaved to the patterns of our nature because we received those patterns and those passions from Adam. Listen, the Bible teaches what's called federal headship. We, federal headship is Adam is a federal head of the human race. And because he is a sinner, all of those, all of those patterns and all those sinful proclivities have been passed down to every person because of Adam. And we always operate within the confines of that sinful nature. It is our nature before Christ to commit sin. We do it willingly, we do it freely, and we do it lovingly. And if left to ourselves, we would never do anything but sin. If left to ourselves, we would never be saved because left to ourselves, we would never desire to be saved. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity or an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed what? That speaks of what? That speaks of ability, church. That doesn't speak of willingness. That speaks of ability. The carnal mind, the unsaved person, does not have the ability to submit itself to the law of God. So then they that are in the flesh, what? Another word of ability. They do not have the ability to please God. Is belief in salvation pleasing to God? Yes or no? Yes, it is. And the Bible says that in my flesh, in my, on my own, I do not have the ability to obey the law of God. And then Paul says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Please note that verse, church. It does not only say that the grace, some people misinterpret this verse, it is not only the grace that has been granted to us, but also what? Faith. I don't somehow muster up the faith within me and then reach out and grab hold of the grace of God. No, Paul says in Ephesians 2.8 that both the grace is a gift of God and the faith to accept that grace is the gift of God, which is why Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 44, that no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him and what? I will raise him up at the last day. Church, listen, faith is a great gift of grace that has been graciously granted. And Paul says, listen, you don't need to be terrified by your adversaries because it's been granted to you not only to believe, but also to what? Suffer. And Paul uses the word granted as if it's a, as if it's a privilege. Is it? Let me tell you one thing right now. The apostles certainly counted it worthy, the Bible says. When they were beaten because they preached the gospel, they were beaten and then they were thrown in prison and they were made to promise they wouldn't preach anymore and they were released from prison. And what does the Bible say there in the book of Acts? That they left, they were rejoicing because they counted it worthy to suffer for his name. And where did they go? 
Well, they got out of prison. They let the, the guards let them out of the Roman prison, right? And they left the prison. They went home, and they turned on Oprah. Is she even still on? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Nobody in this room cares. No, where did they go? They left prison. They went right back to the synagogue and started preaching again. Because they counted it worthy to suffer for Christ. Paul says, it has been granted to you the privilege of not only being a Christian, but being able to suffer for being a Christian. Folks, we can't sometimes wrap our minds around this, but suffering for being a Christian is an absolute privilege. The two gifts that are inseparably linked that everyone receives in salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And then Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but what? Loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but rubbish that I may win Christ. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. Boy, that's odd to our finite way of thinking, isn't it? If you are reproached for the name of Christ, be happy. That's odd. We don't think that way, do we? In our humanity, we don't think that way. But Paul, Peter is just echoing the words of Paul because Paul said it's a privilege. It's been granted. It's a privilege granted to every believer, not only just to believe, but also to suffer for that belief. Would, we, would, it, would to God we would all say, we would all put our hands in the air and say, I'd gladly suffer for the one who suffered for me. That's what Paul is calling for. That's how we conduct our lives, church, verse 27, as worthy of the gospel. A willingness to suffer because we stand firm for Christ. Because Paul says that in the verse 29, we're suffering why? It's the last three words of verse 29. For his sake. For his sake. Spiritual conflict, church, with the forces of darkness is inevitable. When we identify with Christ and His gospel, suffering is going to happen. Saving faith is a gift of God that's been granted to us who believe, but also is suffering. 
And while that sounds strange to the world, that doesn't sound so strange to the believer. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 15, if the world hated me, it's going to what? It's going to hate you. And you're not above me. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted you, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Jesus says if people hated Christ, they're going to hate his disciples. Church, listen, Paul says very clearly, to be saved by Christ and to suffer for Christ is a blessing. It's a privilege. And church, here's the hard part. It's how we fulfill verse 27. See, all those conjunctions all link these verses together. That's why I told my English teacher in high school, I, I was going to be a preacher, I didn't need English. But that's why all these conjunctions are important because it links all these statements. They all go back to verse 27. This is how we fulfill verse 27. Not only by living holy, but also by being saved and by suffering. That's how we conduct ourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because what's the gospel about? The gospel is about the sufferings of Christ. Listen, I've told you a thousand times, if you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and what you see is a love of God, you have missed the point of the cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is not about the love of God, it's about the holy wrath of God poured out on Christ because of our sin. That's what the cross is about. The cross church was not an instrument of love. It was an instrument of death and destruction and penalty. We live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not just in our holiness. Not just in our salvation. Not just in our sanctification. But also in our suffering. But Paul says, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Because listen, church, if it's been granted to us to suffer, who do you think is going to be with you while you suffer? And through Christ, I have all power. I have all strength. Paul says in, in Christ, I am more than a what? Conqueror. Through Him who loved me. And Paul says, come life, come death, nothing. Church, listen, will separate you from the love of Christ. So he says, don't be intimidated. By your suffering. But rejoice in your suffering. Listen, I can't think of a better person that I would rather be identified with than Jesus Christ. You, can you? And listen, as I suffer for the gospel, I'm identifying with Jesus. 
And then Paul says in verse 30, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Paul referring back to his imprisonment in Philippi probably, and uh, going back in your text to Acts chapter 16 when he and Silas were in the Philippian prison. And that's when they saw him. That's what he means by, you saw me, when they saw him in the Philippian jail. Now you hear to be, now Paul's in prison in Rome. Why, Paul says, why is all this happening to me? For the sake of Christ. Church, you make sure that when you suffer, you suffer for the sake of Christ. Happy are ye, the Bible says, if you suffer for him. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3 that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For ye yourselves know that we were, what? Appointed thereunto. That's why Peter says, don't think your persecution is some strange thing. Because you've been appointed to that. Paul says here in verse 29, that's been granted to you. Folks, as we conclude this section on Philippians. I want to ask you some questions and ask you to consider them this morning. As you contemplate your life before God, we, we began this section of Scripture three weeks ago or such. Uh, well, this is part three. I don't know if it was three weeks ago or not, but we began this section some weeks ago, three parts ago, right, Jerry? Three parts ago with this Latin word, corum Deo, which means what? Before the face of God. As you contemplate your life this morning, yesterday, last week, last month, as you contemplate your life before God, how does it look? How does it look? Is your life the kind of life that shows others the kind of God you serve? Are you so submitted to the desires of God that, that you would submit even to what is not what you wish the most, if that is going to cause God to get more glory revealed in your life? Listen, church, that is spiritual maturity. When you give up what you want for Christ to be glorified. Is that where you are this morning? Do you stand for the truth? Do you fight for the truth? Are our lives before God faithful, submitted, and suffering? How do we live, church, quorum Deo? How do we live before the face of God? Because the fact of the matter is, church, you and I do live before the face of God. So how are you doing? How's your conduct? How's your sanctification? First of all, have you been saved? Yeah, I prayed a prayer. I saw, I'm not talking about punching a card. I'm not talking about fire insurance. I'm talking about being truly born again. I'm talking about repenting. I'm talking about being born from above, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. Because Jesus says, whosoever is not born from above will never see the kingdom of heaven. Have you truly been saved? Have you been born from above? And if you've been saved, how's your sanctification? 
How are you living out verses 27 to 30? And all that flowing text there. In that, in that process of conducting your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then how are you handling suffering? How are you living before the face of God? Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.